to Sin City with Nick Manessis and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. everybody welcome back on this friday the 13th for sin city i'm one of your hosts nick manessis coming back today for this special episode is our most frequent guest on the show emmanuel akinola hello emmanuel good to have you back hey man i'm glad to be here hey nick how you been great really great welcome back again to sin city and the comment by the way so, before we get to today's episode, how you been, man? Like, how's it, how's it going, you know, with Scream? I've been good. Oh, yeah, I've just uh, finished the second one well, weeks ago, but I've just been taking a break from writing and uh, trying to do some reading and stuff, keep myself occupied. Uh, but, yeah, how about you? Mm, same old, same old, just catching up on some projects, watching films to get some inspiration, and uh, everything's going good, really. So, I know you've been wanting to do this topic for so long, and now, here we are. You made it, man. So, where to begin? Uh, how about we start first with your new Justice League script, which, by the way, I'm a big fan of. Thanks. Yeah, I really enjoyed writing it. Um, I first had the idea back in 2013. And, you know, because I was, I've always been a huge fan of DC and I just wanted to like, put my own stamp on it. And I just had an idea for it. And I like, this is what I would have liked to have seen. You know, when the when the Just League movie came out, it was, it was all right. I mean, I could, I did want better, more. I do wish it was a better film, but uh, but yeah, this, this this has been an idea I had since uh, 2013. Mm, and it shows, man. Yeah, you put a really a lot of time and effort into this script, and it shows a lot of faithfulness in the source material as well. Really good job too. And would you Thanks. mind telling our listeners what are some comic book influences for this Justice League story of yours? Oh, um, number one is uh, Amazo's first appearance in The Brave and the Bold, uh, 1960, I believe. Then um, uh, The OMAC Project by Greg Rucka that came out in the mid-2000s, I believe. And uh, The New 52. New 52 was like a huge inspiration. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, what about um, the... I believe you sent me a couple of days ago a sequel to your Justice League script. Could you mind telling us just a bit of a basic summary and some influences to our listeners? Oh, so basic summary is that it's like a part two to part one where it's uh, it's a film about unchecked power and the type of power that the League has. And the main villains or the main story 
I should say, involves uh, the Justice League having to fight this um these people, these evil versions of themselves from an alternate uh, universe called the Crown and we're going to take over Earth. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a movie about meeting your shadow self, about meeting your mirror side, mm. things so, like that. And I wanted, the main theme is like unchecked power, the type of power that Just League has. Mm, I see. So this is basically us, but a non-horror film. Yeah, it's more like a, it's not horror, but it's, it's like a, it's almost like a, that Twilight Zone episode called Mirror Mirror, I think, where that woman meets the doppelganger in the air, in the train station. It's kind of like that. Ah, I see. It's like a scary Twilight version premise. Mm, I see. Can't wait to give it a read, man. Yeah, I might do so actually after we're done with recording. And cool, cool. Let's stick now to move on to the elephant in the room, which is the DC Extended Universe, which is known for being one of the most, well, at best divisive and at worst disliked cinematic universes. Would you mind giving us a bit of your thoughts on it overall? Overall, um, I feel like they're not, I mean, I applaud the effort by Warner Brothers and DC, but for the most part, a lot of the films just haven't done it for me. I mean, um, I did like Man of Steel. I like how it embraced the science fiction aspect of the character of Superman. And I did like Wonder Woman and Aquaman because they captured the tone of the comics and mm-hmm. were, were true to the character for the most part. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, but yeah, a lot of the other films... Yeah, it just didn't just didn't do it for me. Mm. I feel you, man. Yeah, like the whole point of the DC Extended Universe is just money to catch up with Marvel's success. They care more about pandering to the base, telling like giving too much fan service instead of telling a really good story. Like Batman v Superman was the biggest offender of this. Yeah, that movie was that movie had a lot of had a trouble production. I mean, it didn't have a trouble production, but it had, you have Snyder who came out with this um, alternate edition, which I still need to watch, but a lot of people say it's way better than the than the theatrical version. But my main issue with the movie with Batman v Superman is the way he treated, he treated both Batman and Superman as these brooding type characters when Superman is supposed to be hopeful and optimistic. And, and, I, and I heard different arguments from different people online about like they did that because the world he lives in is very dark and doesn't trust him. But I would feel like Superman would still try not to let that weigh him, weigh him down, you know, or he would rise above it. And I understand he's a young Superman, but it just didn't, to me, it didn't fit the character specifically Superman. I get your point. Like, yeah, the dark gritty tone, it fits Batman, but, 
not Superman. Like Superman is known for being, you know, very lighthearted and comical, like, you know, a Boy Scout. So it just didn't fit well with his character, like you said. And it also feels kind of weird because Zack Snyder kept saying that Superman was his favorite superhero of all time, but it does not show in Batman v Superman. No, it doesn't show. I mean, Batman v Superman was really a Batman film featuring Superman. I mean, Batman was basically the main character. I mean, the first uh, opening sequence of the film is from Bruce Wayne's perspective, and he drives the story. Superman was relegated to, like, this passive supporting character, it seemed like, in the movie. Exactly. I don't know if it's the same in the Ultimate Edition. I need to watch the Ultimate Edition. But, yeah, it just seemed like a Batman film. It, it feels like my favorite superhero is Batman, the Frank Miller Batman. Mm, yeah, definitely. Like, it seems that way. Yeah, it's very obvious Zack Snyder wanted to make a Batman solo movie, or rather one of him just, you know, murdering people, fan fiction type. Yeah, just... Now that we're on that, like, tell me, what do you think of Snyder's Batman, or rather Ben Affleck's take on the Batman? I really enjoyed it. I thought that Ben, ben Affleck looks like the character. If you look at the animated series... He looks like Batman from the sh from the animated series. He looks like Bruce Wayne from the animated series. Mm -hmm. And I like that they were going for an older, more grizzled uh, Batman. But, um, yeah, I just feel like they didn't really... They focused so much on his anger without giving a reason as to why. Like, there's, there's why he's that... Of course, with his parents dying, and he was Batman for at least 20 years according to what he said in the film. But it's just a drastic change. I think my problem was it's just a drastic change from Chris Nolan's Batman. And I feel like if you're going to introduce Batman, you have to introduce him in another film first or let us get behind why he's that different. I feel like they just shoehorned that Batman into it and we have to accept it. Well, that one is kind of understandable because making a batman movie before batman v superman like we are i think it's safe to say we all know what batman's origin story was so i don't think it would be really justified to make a batman solo film before bvs like we've already seen this yeah, that's true but that's true but i think they should have waited like it's only it was only i mean four years it means four years between Nolan's trilogy and the, and the Batman we see in 2016. I just feel like that's not enough time. But overall, I felt he did a good job on the role. I think he did both parts really well. Uh, yeah, I think he did both parts really well. I just criticize, it's not Ben Affleck's fault, I criticize Snyder's direction and how he made Batman a homicidal I mean, yeah, you could say you could argue that after 20 years, you you would go a little crazy or you would you would have issues. But I don't know. I just felt like because I know Snyder's favorite comic book is Watchmen. It just felt like Batman was Warshack. War mm -hmm. It just felt like Warshack to me. Yeah, I did. Well, Batman does like just because he has one rule doesn't mean he will, you know, like Batman is pretty brutal also in the comics like he. He breaks like criminal. Yeah, originally, yeah, originally in the original comics with Bob Kane and Bill Finger, he killed people. Like he threw, he snapped some guy's neck, and I think he threw somebody off a building. So 
God. But my argument would be that we're so far removed from that and how Batman has a moral code and that's what makes him heroic is that code. If Batman is just killing people left and right, then we already have a character for that. It's called the Punisher. <laughs> right, yeah. And, like, it's that Ben Affleck's Batman, personally, I was skeptical at first, but seeing him in the cowl, he actually, he was pretty good, actually. Like, the I love that warehouse scene. God, that was probably the best Batman action scene I've ever seen. Uh, your thoughts? Oh, yeah, dude, it was straight, it was ripped out of the Arkham video games. I mean, it was well, well done. I mean, like, I, I applaud Snyder's fight choreographers and fight coordinators. They did a good job. I mean, I, I had a feeling when, when we were going to see the fight scenes that, yeah, that Snyder was going to, he was going to impress us. And he did. I mean, Batman, he's a huge guy. I mean, Ben Affleck's like, He's like 6'4", so he's already huge. And then, like, you have him beating these guys up. It's like it, it's like it's straight ripped out of the Arkham games. It is, yeah. And I love also the the, the choice for Batman's costume in BVS. Like, it, it's actually inspired by, I guess you already knew this, by Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, you know, with the gray and the huge bat symbol. Really love that touch, too. Yeah, even like the... Uh, yeah, even the uh, the bat symbol, it's it's a direct replica from the Frank Miller Batman. How it's so big on his chest, and yeah, it's basically Frank Miller Batman. And uh, and I enjoy Frank Miller Batman, but I just feel like I feel like Zack Snyder should should have just waited and just and just made Dark Knight Returns the movie and just made the <laughs> and just done that instead of BBS. But oh, yeah. We could have waited until he did that. It would have been years down the line, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, no, that's, I think that would work, too, as well. Personally, to me, the biggest problem in Batman v Superman was when you watch it, it feels like three movies shoehorned into one. They focus too much on world building. Like, it's only the second film in the DCEU, and it already tried to bring in too much, trying to introduce this the universe. It felt like we were watching a setup to another movie rather than the movie itself. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it was Warner Brothers' fault. Like, uh, it came out some months ago, I think 2019, that... Um, a guy named uh, Neil Daly, I think. He was a WB insider, and he he was oversaw test screenings for these movies. Turns out that Snyder wanted to do solo movies, first, but WB pushed him and said, "No, let's let's do the team up first. Let's let's build up the team up first. Mm-hmm. And that's like, oh my goodness. They yeah, it's like you said, Nick. They were just wanted the money to <laughs> to rival Marvel. Exactly. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it just felt so off. They just wasted three movies worth of good material. They introduced the whole Justice League, Doomsday, the Parademons, Steppenwolf. They just crammed so much into one movie. It felt off. It distracted us from what's going on. Just I did not. I hated that. Yeah, because it suffered from. It suffered from. This is and this is really interesting. I noticed this some about maybe some years or months ago, some years ago, is that it suffered from the same problem that Iron Man 2 did. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 2 set up a lot, it had to set up a lot of things. And it was only like the second or third film. 
Uh, the Marvel third. lineup. The Marvel lineup. And how Iron Man 2 didn't seem like a cohesive story. It just seemed like a trailer for other movies for the next Iron Man or other Marvel film. No, I mean, you got you have to set up your franchise. You have to be patient with it. And Marvel did. Marvel, they took their time. DC, uh, Warner Brothers, they just wanted to catch up by any means necessary. Yeah, Batman v Superman, it's more of a... Yeah. It's, yeah, like I said, pandering to the base. It's a film that focused too much on trying to satisfy the fans rather than trying to tell a good story, really. So, uh, yeah, it's a shame. No, I was just going to say it's a shame that that happened. And it seemed like they're, they're doing course correction right now, but I think it's a little too late. The last film I watched that was DC was Shazam, and I love Shazam. It was really good. I haven't seen Shazam quite yet, but from what I hear, it's actually one of DC's best, actually. Like, very, it captured the spirit of the comics, and it's the most lighthearted film in the DCEU, anyway. Yeah, it embraced that. It embraced the, the uh, lightheartedness of, of the comics. I mean, Shazam came out in February 1940. So about, what, two two years after Superman. And and that was understandable because Superman was so big at the time. And so uh, another company, Fawcett Comics, came up with the character. They had a legal battle with, B, with DC because DC alleged that they copied Superman. But, but a lot of comics, even from then and all the way to New 52, very lighthearted, you know, a kid who becomes a superhero, you know, it's... It's something that it plays on that uh, escapism of, you know, that kids can help get kids want in superhero stories. And it was well done. It was a well done movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the best part is from what I hear anyway, is that it's it succeeds so much in trying to be funny and lighthearted without needing it to be another Marvel wannabe. Yeah, it had its own humor. I mean. And what's great is that the kid characters were so well written. There a lot of the humor came from the kids, and they were believable as kids, as as characters. I mean, you, and they were all well, yeah, it was just well written because uh, Billy Batson, he's a he's an orphan, or he doesn't have his parents, and so he lives in a foster home with these other kids. And it's really, it's very, it's a very nice movie about that. It's about the community. It's really about the Shazam family and. Uh, yeah, it's it's just well done. It's very it makes the characters uh, it makes you invested in the story with those characters and Billy Batson's journey. Of course, yeah, I'll I'll have to give it a, I'll give it a look this time tonight. And since, definitely, of course, and yeah, I'd like to cover the other film in the DCU after BVS, Suicide Squad. <laughs> I'd like to hear your thoughts about it overall. I didn't like the film at all. I mean, Warner Brothers, again, Warner Brothers interfered with the movie. David Ayer had a more darker version. And then WB saw that and they reacted to how BVS was was received. And then they just went and, and went and changed it. And it's like, so they really made the movie for nobody. Uh, but even David Ayer's script wasn't good. Uh, it leaned too heavily into New 52. I mean, it, it, New 52, I read New 52 Suicide Squad. I just felt if you're going to do a first film that, that, and there was an animated film that came out like a year or two before mm-hmm. called um, Batman Assault on Arkham. Oh, yeah. And they could have I... adapted that instead and made the Joker the bad guy. They, they, I think 
because if we introduced in the Joker, it would have been cooler if the Joker was the bad guy and they all had the Suicide Squad had to fight him. Exactly. And that would have added to like Harley's arc because Harley is trying to maybe their relationship with the Joker isn't well, isn't good. And the Joker wants to rescue her and stuff like that. Which exactly. They touched on in Suicide Squad, but it's just, I don't know. I think it leaned too heavily into supernatural stuff too, mm-hmm. too easily. I just felt like that wasn't the right direction that they should have went. Oh, no, I totally agree. Because, yeah, like you said, it was too supernatural. Like, having them fight the Enchantress, like a magical meta-human, it just didn't work with the squad. Because from if, like, I be- of course, you're familiar with the comics, but the squad, they, like, fight, you know, terrorists, like, that kind of stuff that human beings would face every day. That's more equipped for them, not supernatural stuff. I felt like someone with actual powers like superman or even the the justice league dark would work this kind of mission would work for them but not the squad yeah yeah it would and enchantress i mean i think i'm not sure um i only read a i read a little bit of the uh, original suicide squad in the uh by john austin so i read the first two volumes but yeah they fought it was very well at that time during the eighties. It was very influenced by like Cold War paranoia and Cold War uh, themes. But yeah, they fought terrorists. They fought a big a big uh, villain that they have is Onslaught, and Onslaught is like this huge group of supervillains that are that are terrorists and things like that. So it would have been cool if they and I and I thought that's why Air was good because Air is good at doing those. Um, corruption and political type movies i thought he was going to go that route but he didn't it was really enchantress she's a member of the suicide squad and they only had to fight her maybe once or twice like because sometimes her she can she has a dual personality so sometimes the enchantress personality can get out of control but yeah i feel like it would them fighting enchantress would have been better for a just league dark movie Exactly. Like you said. Exactly. Like, and then there's the fact that the film, like you mentioned, that Warner Brothers interfered a lot because the film was reshot, rewritten, re-edited many times, and there are like eight different versions of the film out there. In fact, you will notice because when you watch the film, many shots from the trailer didn't make it into the final cut. So it shows. Yeah, and then the, they did the reshoots. And then if you look closely... When they're having the the battle with um, the battle with Enchantress at, at the end, you notice that Will Smith's beard and his hairstyle is different, like from the previous shots. So you could tell it was a reshoot that they reshot that sequence. I did not. So wow. yeah, like if you notice carefully, like I think it's specifically his beard that was. It looked like it's been shaved and it's growing back. Wow. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so obvious that they reshot the the ending. It's just so ridiculous. Right. And and then there's the fact that many of the Joker scenes were on the cutting room floor. Like, why? Just why? Like, they... Oh, Jared Leto was upset about that. He made no... Yeah, he he made it known that he was upset about it. And I felt like... I know some people don't like him as Joker, but... I thought he did a good job with what he did so far. But yeah, they really should have 
made him the villain. And even David Ayer in a tweet like a year or two ago, two years ago or something like that. I think in 2017, he said that he regretted it. He said he should have made the Joker the, Joker the villain in a tweet or something. Oh, that's just... That's just so sad, yeah. And yeah, and also was a huge waste of time too because Jared Leto, he prepared a lot for this film. He spent most of his time method acting. He refused to break character. He even read several disorders the Joker might have and he sent his own co-stars stuff the Joker would give, like a snake, even a dead rat, and some used condoms. Yeah, I, yes. Oh God, yeah. And all he got. Yeah, yeah. And that's Jared Leto. He's. How was that? Uh, I just want to say that, and despite all his preparation, he only got 10 minutes of screen time. So, yeah. Go on. Yeah. Uh, it's. He, he was upset about it. And understandably so. I mean, the Joker is like one of the most iconic villain roles ever. And you only relegate to like 10 minutes of screen time. I mean, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And, um, yeah, and but Jared Leto, he's like that. He's a method actor, so it was interesting. I mean, uh, Will Smith even went on to say he never met Jared Leto in person because he was so into character that <laughs> the entire time they're shooting, damn, he never met Jared Leto because Jared Leto was in character as a Jared Leto. So I guess that's just a testament to how good an actor he is. Definitely, yeah. Oh yeah, like he even won he won an Oscar, I believe, in a few years ago too. Jared Leto did. Yeah. Yeah, in twenty fourteen for Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. I give that one a look too. Yeah. I still need to see that movie. Yeah. Like uh, but Suicide Squad, yes, it was one big mess. But the one thing that redeemed the film for me, the one good thing. I would have to be Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. She really captured the essence of the character in the comics, you know, as this very ditzy, but also crazy, like pretty on the outside, but just deranged on the inside. Just love her take on the character. Oh, yeah, it's it was a great take. I was so happy that they cast her. And I kind of knew I was so happy when they cast her. I was when they first announced Suicide Squad, I was I was excited because I thought David Ayer, David Ayer was my pick to, to, to direct it. So I was very excited, but they got a lot of A-list actors that play the roles. Oh, yeah. And I knew Mark Robbie was going to do a good job. She was just coming off of doing a great job in um, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which she did a great job in. Yes. Um, but I knew she was going to kill it, and she did. Her, 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 accent, her accent was kind of wonky of some parts, but overall it was good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and really great. Like Harley Quinn is definitely one of the the best DC characters ever. And fun fact is that she was an original character. She didn't appear in any of the comics, but she debuted in Batman, the animated series. But she was so popular that she got her own, her own story. That's correct. She was created by uh, Paul Dini, who was a great writer. Uh, he he was a writer on Batman the Animated Series, and I believe he did the new Batman Adventures too. Ah, um, that's like to it, right? And, and but yeah, he he also did a great run. I read his run in Batman, most of his run in Batman, and the, the around two thousand the run was around two thousand seven to two thousand eight, right before Final Crisis. 
Wow. And his run was pretty good. It was after, no, it was before Grant Morrison's run, I believe. Yeah, before Grant Morrison's run in 2008. But yeah, he's a great writer. Oh, yeah, definitely. And didn't he, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he, you know, do voice acting for any of the characters in, you know, the animated series? I think maybe he did, or someone whose name sounds familiar. Uh, Paul Dini? Mm -hmm. Yes. Did he, like, do any voice work? I'm not sure if he did. He might have. That's strange. Well, I'm thinking. He might have. He's a talented guy. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he even, like, participated in the writing of the stories for the Arkham games, the first two anyway. Like, that shows yes, how great he is. Yeah. And after the mess that was BVS and Suicide Squad, we then got Wonder Woman, which I think it's safe to say it's probably the best film to come out of the DCEU. Yeah, I mean, it was really, it was really good. Like... It really, this is based Wonder Woman. Like Gal Gadot, she was the perfect pick to play the character for sure. She has the physicality, the look in the comics, and she even has the the charming, kind-hearted nature that we all know and love Diana for. Gal Gadot was perfect choice. Um, we have to give that to Zack Snyder. He's the one that cast her when they were casting mm-hmm. Batman v Superman. She was cast in 2013, December 2013. And I remember because it was the month after Paul Walker died. It's, just, it's sad that he wasn't able to see her, his co-worker, his co-actor, you know, get the role. But, All right, but yeah, sure. um, what was that? Um, um, just, she was in Furious, too, right? Now, Fast and Furious, too, with Gal Gadot, right? Yeah, yeah. She was in two of those movies, I think, two or three of those movies. And, um, yeah, so I'm glad I picked her. At the time... You know, she she was just she was up and coming. So she was really big in Israel. She did like a f- one or two TV shows in Israel. <clears throat> but in American audiences, we didn't really know her. But she, I think she did a great job as, in the role. Definitely. Yeah. Like, in fact, Wonder Woman, she was probably one of the best things about Batman v Superman, despite her limited screen time as well. Yeah. For some reason, she made the movie better. Like her presence made it a lot better it seemed like um yeah it's just maybe that's a testament to the character and i feel like i know man it just sucks i just feel like imagine if she was in a good movie and and batman v superman was actually a good movie and um yeah that would have been the icing on the cake but yeah she was the best part of that movie yeah a lot of people would agree with me Oh, oh yeah, for sure they will. Yeah, and her standalone film was just magic. Like everything about it, it kept it was faithful to the comics, and it really great balance too of added humor after the franchise has been getting dark and depressing as well. It really worked the humor as well. Yeah, it seemed it's her. The movie was just the right people came at the right time to make that movie, and. It was, and it, and it it outperformed all expectations. Uh, yeah, it didn't make a billion, but it made over 800 million. So, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, it's, Captain Marvel made more, but that's only because Marvel had, they had time to make their movies. But, but yeah, it's, it's just everything about it was just so, so good. Definitely love the chemistry as well between Gal Gadot and uh, Chris Pine and Steve Trevor. And it's this film also, it's 
a very relevant film, like it delivers a good message about female empowerment and about love and coming together in an even more divided society. And that's why it earns more points as well for being the best in this universe. Yeah, because the reason it's one of my favorite DC films now is because it captured that idea of DC heroes, of how they're gods and they're gods that try to be human. And it, um, it, it, did, it did what Man of Steel was trying to do in that it gave the godlike character uh, a human dimension. Uh, uh, the idea of not... Because you look at the scene with Ares and how Ares was trying to gold her into killing Dr. Poison, but oh, Diana refused. And so it's like, that encapsulates the character. The fact that these godlike beings, they come to our earth, but they want to live among us and they want to help us. And I think she captured that really well. The movie yeah. captured it really well. Oh yeah, for sure. And also captured the, again, the ongoing theme that in a world filled with gods and monsters, humans can be the most evil beings to ever walk the earth with the, the, the guy with the, you know, the Germans, which is in Wonder Woman, it shows. Oh, yeah, Luden, Ludendorff. That's right, yeah. Yeah, he was an evil guy. Um, I don't know much about Hungarian history, but he was very... Um, I know he was uh, a high-ranking official in the uh, in the Axis powers in the military at the time, and um, but yeah, like I like the theme of the film is that human beings can be our own uh, worst enemies, and also, you know, because for better or worse, the film does attribute the cause to Ares to this external evil force, but. Um, that doesn't that doesn't drive away from the main theme, you know. Like, main theme is that when Diana says love will only love will con will save the world or things like that, and it's like yes, like that's the character, that's Wonder Woman. That's right. Yeah, I love. They really did her character justice. No, no pun intended, of course. Like, this is really the DC film we needed after the mess in the last two films. Like, Superman kept brooding, and Batman crossed so many lines, and Wonder Woman. They really stayed true to her character in every sense of the word. And that's why. Yeah, they. Yeah, they. Patty Jenkins, the director. The female director, she's a fan of the character. Like she's been a fan of superheroes, and so, and I think I'm pretty sure she was a fan of the um, the original um, Linda Carter show. And so she, and she's a fan of the original Superman film too, and that's important because the Superman film that that started it all, it was a game changer. And now it had the optimistic tone, it captured the character. Uh, Richard Donner did a great job. So Patty Jenkins being a student of that, she wanted to bring that same magic to Wonder Woman, and it worked. It shows. It definitely shows. That same, um, yeah. Yeah, love yeah it like does. Like, even, you can even look at the alley scene when Wonder Woman saves Trevor from being shot. Yeah. That's straight out of the original Superman film when Clark Kent 
stop the bullet. Yeah, so that was a great homage. Yeah, just love it. It's really a really powerful, heartwarming film. Just perfect. Well, no, not perfect, of course. Like, it, yeah, some it's... people, com some people, uh, like, kind of ranted how the third act was kind of the weakest part of the film. But I, I, I personally, I had no problem with it. It's, I'm used to this. Kind of, we were all used to it by at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've seen people on core talk about one person in particular talk about how it derailed from the themes of how humans can be our own enemies, but. But Ares is a villain. Like Ares, that's one of Wonder Woman's top adversaries. So we needed a bad guy to fight, and everyone was, and it worked because everything was building up to that confrontation. I mean, Diana, that was her mission to save man's world from Ares, and she did it. She fought him, and she won. And what's what's amazing and what's complex about it is that it was a family drama because Ares is her half-brother mm, yes so it, it it can kind of um in hindsight it can make it the, the conversation more personal and more uh more investing i guess because it's a family uh family drama oh yeah for sure love that angle too as well but yeah like wonder woman it really it's a film that focuses more on style over su some substance over style and it did the one thing that not even the mcu was able to do at that time like make a really good movie about superhero movie where the with a strong female lead and person and unpopular opinion but i think wonder woman is a far better female driven superhero film than captain marvel but that's just my opinion of course i don't think i don't think that's a, an unpopular opinion i mean a lot of people like captain marvel but i didn't as much i just felt that and um, this might not be pc but i just felt like the Disney were trying to push the female aspect of the character to, but on a character that was kind of bland on a character that was in the movie, in the movie anyway, it was bland as a character. Yeah. Emotion wise. And, and that's hard because Captain Marvel, she is a, a harder character to, to translate from the comics because she is that way in the comics. But over time you get to know her, she, she opens up, but, um, yeah, the uh, the social themes of that movie overtook the story for me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil it. Well, it's just over the social themes. Not that they're bad, but it just overtook the story, especially later on in the film, with how they deal with the scrolls and the how they're not the bad guys and things like that. And mm -hmm. yeah, that yeah, it just didn't. It's a film that focused more on Captain Marvel's powers than than her as a character agreed yeah like it's too much like too political i'd say they keep beating us over the head and say hey everyone she's a strong female lead it's like we get it at this point already yeah that was very iffy yeah but the film the film had a lot of yeah the film had a lot of in moments like that and it, when we understand it like they're trying to show that uh danvers she's an underdog like she she had to overcome a lot but it's a lot to, we didn't really get to see the emotion side, like her emotionality. 
you know, as a, she wasn't a fully dimensional character. Um, yeah. I, like I said, it's hard for Captain Marvel. I agree. Uh, as a character from the comics. I agree. Yeah. Like Captain Marvel to me personally, in we'll, we'll get to the to DC soon eventually, but personally to me in both uh, her standalone film and Endgame, she felt more like a plot device rather than a character in my Actually, she's just there to save the day. Like, that's pretty much it. Yeah, because like she's very powerful. So uh, you can you can draw the parallel with Superman. Like, people think, oh, Superman, he's too powerful and things like that. But like, it, it takes a talented filmmaker and a, to actually dig inside the character. And you can do you can do wonderful stories with those characters i mean i've read them i mean it's just i guess it's hard because it's a two-hour movie you have to pack it into two hours and marvel marvel they have to set up other films too so um i can see why captain marvel had to shoehorn a lot of things in but uh but yeah it's just like i said she's a hard character to crack I feel like they haven't cracked it yet. I mean, they announced a new director. They announced a new director for the second one, the second Captain Marvel film, which shows that, to me, that shows that the first director's didn't do a good job. And you can tell how they did the fight scenes, some of the cinematography, uh, the color grading. I mean, it's just Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel wasn't that great of a film to me. Yeah, and... Yeah, and, and in Endgame, she, she's so powerful that they literally need to find a way to get her out of the plot for a while. Because if she was there, she, it would all be over in just two seconds. So I can, can understand. Yeah, that's why they that's why the Russos... And, and it's a good move because, you know, Captain Marvel is so powerful. Like, she... Like, seriously, like, if you read her comics, if you look up her superpowers... They're like almost god tier, and and like because she got it from an extraterrestrial race called the Kree, I believe, and um, so it's hard to it's not hard, but it's difficult to bring a character like that that can so solve so many problems so quickly and try to humanize her. It's not impossible. And I feel like in the next film, they'll, they'll do their job. I think they're going to introduce Miss Marvel, so that'll be awesome. They'll, they'll have a great chemistry dynamic between them. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, Captain Marvel is just a hard character to crack because she's very standoffish in the comics. But she does have a sense of humor. And cool. you just got to find a way to go and try to pull into that. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I think they, they'll do a much better job in the sequel, too. So back to DC. Let's stick now with after yeah. now, Wonder Woman. We're now Justice League, the Zack Snyder one, like the, the theatrical cut, of course. Oh, God. I had so much high expectations for this film, but they disappointed. All right. That's all I can say about it. That's my, my overall thought on it. Yeah, it was a mess. I mean, it was, it just wasn't good. I mean, even though Joss Whedon did some reshoots, 
he changed a lot of the plot lines, a lot of the character arcs, and it shows. It just feels like a a dumbed-down Marvel film. Like, <clears throat> it feels like a Marvel film for a lot of them, really. And I guess that's not... That could be a knock, but I guess I just wanted Zack Snyder to have his own vision. And I guess that's why we're going to have the Snyder Cut. Mm-hmm. But... But yeah, it just didn't. It the movie as a whole. I mean, the plot, the the, the plot needed work. The characters needed work. It just wasn't good. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, and you can see also how it contradicts each other. You got Zack Snyder's trademark blue and sepia tone versus Joss Whedon's orange and lighthearted atmosphere. It's like watching a clash between two worlds, and it shows, really. Yeah, it shows. Like, if you look at early trailers where there's darker, saturated images, you look at the finished film, and it's all bright. It's all completely different. So that's how you knew that Whedon reshot a lot of it. And, um... Yeah, it's, it's the same thing with Suicide Squad. They made a movie for nobody. I mean, they did it because, and, and this is some, I'm pulling, by, I'm pulling back the curtain a little bit on this movie, but the Warner Brothers, the AT&T merger was happening. So the executives, Kevin Sujihara and other people, they wanted to keep their bonuses because they weren't sure at the end of the fiscal year, they would have to renew their um contracts to renew their their uh their sh- whatever their ships or whatever and so they they wanted to have a last temple movie and then they gave all these directions oh it has to be under two hours it has to do this and this and that and it's like in the movie and it lost money but the people the executives they were able to like have their bonuses eventually scandal happened and suji was fired but um and John Berg and Jeff Johns, too, were fired. And now you have, um, this is a tangent, but you have uh, Ray uh, Ray Fisher talking about the stuff that was happening, too. So, Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it was just all that, all that, yeah, all that together with Joss Whedon's, like, Marvel-esque uh, revision just made a film, it made into a mess. Joss, yeah, such, such a disappointment, really. Yeah, and... And the thing is, like you mentioned about the runtime, like it's two hours. I two hours is it's too short. It's not enough to cover all that the team up. It just it felt so rushed at the, the final cut, and it shows too. Yeah, it's just. I mean, you're dealing with it's an ensemble film, so you're dealing with seven characters you have to service, two of whom, two or three of whom, haven't been in their own film. So mm-hmm. this film has to set them up. And that's a lot to to uh, to deliver on. That's a lot to introduce three characters that the audiences haven't haven't met before, and and it failed miserably. I mean, it just didn't. Me personally, it just didn't do it do it justice. No pun intended. No, like it just like how how. Is that possible? Like, let's do a bit of com- comparison. Like, like Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, that was a team-up movie. The characters didn't receive a solo movie before the team-up. They just teamed up all in just one movie, 
and the result was a success. So how come the same result did not work with Justice League? Could you, uh, your thoughts on why it didn't? Um, it's just different writers. I mean, it's, I mean, James Gunn is a talented writer. He's very good. He knows, if you look at his, um, he knows the genre. He knows the genre of comic books and and other f- fan favorite genres. He knows it. And that's like, I have a feeling the Suicide Squad is going to be probably one of his best films mm-hmm. that's coming up. But you look at the other side, you have guys like David S. Goyer, who to me is a mixed bag. Mixed bag. He did go with Blade. He did go with Batman. But if you look at like his television credits, and I watched Da Vinci's Demons, and I kind of like that show, but it just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't perfect. So David Goyer, to me, wasn't that great of a writer. He's okay at best. Then you have a guy named Chris Terrio who's never written a superhero film before, who's only done, like, dramas and a political film. It's just a different different dynamic. You have different set of filmmakers from that world. Like, James Gunn is from that comic book fan-favorite world, and Chris Terrio and David S. Goyer are not... Aside from Goyer, Chris Terrio, I mean, he's, a, he's an okay writer, but he... I don't think he understands superheroes that are the genres he's done he did research which i i credit to him but he just doesn't understand the genre i think and zach snyder um zach snyder he's he's a fan of it too but he focused mainly on visuals and things like that he's not really he doesn't have a good handle on story no so and joss whedon he could only do so much but Whedon, Whedon only knows what he can do with it. And what he did with it was, was like a an Mar- Avengers or Marvel-esque tone. So it's just, it's a movie for nobody, really. It's like you have all these different uh, cooks in the kitchen and whatnot happening. And you don't really have a movie that can stand on its own. Oh, no. Yeah. That. It's a very accurate analogy to the final result of Justice League 2. And another problem, a big problem I had with Justice League was how they treated Batman. Because, and that's sad too. Because He was a Batman, joke. Exactly, yeah. Like, Batman, he, as we all know, he has no superpowers. But despite being the only member of the League with no powers, he's still really dangerous on his own like he's a master tactician strategist and great fighter too and justice league movie actually forgot about that they reduced batman to being just this dim-witted fool who has no plan for everything just sad yeah i mean it really started it really showed in batman v superman too and how like he's this master strategist but like he he said a quote in the movie in Batman v Superman, if there's a 1% chance of him being the enemy, we should take it as absolute certainty. And that, that, that line is so absurd. Like, 1%? It just doesn't make any sense. So, like, Batman, if he, Batman, he's the world's greatest detective. Mm-hmm. So what Batman would do, judging from the comics, he would try to track down who Superman is, he would find out who he is, and the fight would be, if there needs to be a fight, it would be a test to see if, if he's a good guy or not. 
And of course, Superman wouldn't kill him. So that would prove that he was a good guy. So, but, but in Justice League as well, like he just, he was a leader, but he didn't really have a strategy. He, the only strategy was reviving Superman. And then they didn't really plan on how to fight Steppenwolf. I mean, they had meetings and stuff, but he was all geared towards let's revive Superman. It's not really like, uh, let's how to tack, how do we tackle this alien invasion? It's like they're putting all the chips on Superman. It's like, okay, then what's the point of the league then? If you, if you all of you were brought together, don't you have individual, they fought this, they fought the terror demons before. And then I guess they realized they need Superman, but it, I don't know. Batman didn't seem like a world's greatest detective or tactician in that movie. No. And and that line, some lines he made where where he's after Superman was choking him, and he said, "Yeah, there's definitely gonna be gonna be some bleeding." That made me cringe. <laughs> like Batman quipping a joke. What is this? Like this is just. It didn't fit the character at all. It, no, Joss Whedon, he, he doesn't. It's funny because you have you have two different perspectives. You have Snyder who loves Batman, and then you have Whedon who doesn't like Batman. He likes Superman. So you had these clashing of 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 ideas, and he made Batman the joke. And it's like, no, Batman is not a joke. And then when I couldn't I couldn't help but laugh. When Superman had a uh, Batman by the throat, and then he remembered what he said to him, "Do you bleed?" And <laughs> he told him, "God." <laughs> I remember one thing that you said, "Do you bleed?" Oh, <laughs> um, come on, seriously. And then, and then Batman was like, "Something's definitely bleeding." <laughs> God, just please kill me. Uh, and Superman, like. Come on, couldn't they have at least shaved his mustache or, you know, delay the movie until he got finished the part with the mustache? That was just so off putting. Yeah, because the schedule conflicted the schedule conflicted with Fallout, Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm. But the he he was Henry Cavill was on the contract to keep the mustache. So they had to digitally alter it in post production. Ah, uh, now it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like when I first watched Fallout in theaters, I saw Henry Cavill with a mustache, and then I put two and two together and realized, yeah, that's why. Oh God. Yeah. And Justice League. I know we're living in a world full with, but this film, it's just ninety percent effects. Like it feels rendered right before your eyes. Everything, even the costumes, are all CGI. Like, come on. Seriously? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's like a CGI fest. And it's it's just, I understand comic movies need to be that way because they have epic scale and stuff. But when the story's not working, it's just empty. It's just hollow CGI. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what it was for me. There were a few good moments in the movie, but very far in between. Yeah, it's just, God, it's rush production. It's really, it had so much potential, and it it failed miserably too. And what's even worse is that for a film about seven of the world's best superheroes, it it also had the lowest grossing opening weekend as well. Shame, just shame. Yeah, they didn't. 
it was the most expensive, one of the most expensive films ever made. It was the budget was three hundred mil, three hundred million dollars, but it was probably three hundred thirty because thirty million dollars is usually what it costs to market a film, and it lost. It made six hundred and sixty million dollars. They made broke even, and they lost a lot of money. And that's why a lot of people at WB were fired after there was a shakedown. A lot of executives were fired, and John Berg, Jeff Johns were demoted. Kevin C. Johari was fired because of a, an actor actress scandal that he was having relations with an actress or whatnot. So they fired him. Yeah, man, it just it's it's terrible. Yes, so yes. Yeah. All right. Enough division and hate. Now let's get to the film that restored my faith in the DCEU, Aquaman. Like, I didn't know what to expect when I first watched this film. I like, I, I had no interest in watching it. I just did because I had nothing better to do. But when I first saw it, I was, wow, amazed. This this is Aquaman. This is no longer the guy who can talk to fish. This is the king of freaking Atlantis. God, it's amazing. What did you yeah, think? Yeah, they chose. Um, they cast Jesse, Jason Momoa because they wanted to break the idea of Aquaman being a joke. So, and I think, yeah, that's that's what you do to to change it. I like the film. I think it captured. It was really an an adaptation of the new 52 comics in that tone. And Jeff Johns put a lot of optimism and bright colors in that world. It was very, it was, it was faithful. Um, my only issue was that um, Jason Momoa, while his performance was charismatic, it was good. I just felt it wasn't Aquaman. But other than that, I liked the film. Um, the special effects were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the direction was a lot better, even though there was um, some shots that were or editing that was off. But other than that, it was it was good. It had a good villain, it had a good story, even though it was similar to like the stories like Thor and Black Panther, in the sense of having a, a sibling rivalry for the throne, for a throne. Mm-hmm. It was still pretty good. It was nice. And it made a billion dollars, so oh, yeah. more money than Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, the highest grossing DC film too, right? Is that right? Yeah, it's the highest grossing DC film. Yeah, and personally I I liked Jason Momoa's Aquaman too. Like I felt it really reminded me a lot of Aquaman in the Justice League animated series, you know, with the long hair, beard, and the hook for a hand. Yeah. That's what the- they were going for they were going for the peter uh, comic book writer named peter david he did a run on an aquaman in the 90 in the 90s and he made aquaman more of a serious and brooding type character uh-huh. he gave him long hair and a beard so that's what they were i think that's where the inspiration came from and um but yeah i think um jason Momoa did a good job he did a good job I just wish it was a little more accurate to the character, but I think his charismatic portrayal was was all right. When you meant um accurate that Jason Momoa's take was inaccurate to the character, do you mean that in terms of the look or the personality wise? Uh, personality wise, like um, 
Aquaman, he doesn't really crack jokes. He doesn't crack one-liners. He's very he takes his responsibility very heavily. He brew he he does brood sometimes, but um he's still optimistic. He still wants to do what's best for, for both worlds. And he's more of a straight shooter. Whereas Jason Momoa is more like a wisecracking uh, um humorous guy. That um but yeah, it's just it's just a nitpick. Uh, well, it's, man. So it's your opinion. I respect it. Yeah, but I like. I actually appreciated the the that aspect Jason Moore brought to the character. You know, like all uh, one liners, and also like you know a boisterous bruiser, the kind of guy that loves a good fight. Yeah, I like that that he tried to do something new to the character. I appreciated that quite a lot. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. Yeah, and. Really, and also the villains in Aquaman, like you mentioned, were really good. Like uh, the who's like Black Manta and Orm, and it's really great, really great way to bring them to the big screen because Aquaman's villains are very underrated among the DC Rogues Gallery. I'd say. Yeah, they're not as talked about. He has a few good villains. He has the, he has uh, he has Orm, Black Manta. The Sea King, the Sea King. He was in Volume Four of New Fifty Two. I mean, that was a really good. That was a really good story. Uh, you have others, but you have others. But yeah, it's very far though. I mean, it's very few though. But his main, his main um, villain is Black Manta, mm-hmm. and Yaya Abdul Mateen II. He did a good job. Uh. They're, they're setting him up to be the, I think he's going to be the villain in the next one yes yeah. Yeah, I love that take on, on the villain too like he's the bad guy but they also gave him a human aspect as well like his love for his father and desire to avenge his only loved one I really love that dimension too like was that yeah, his yeah. what was that um, was that also his uh that was also his backstory, right? In the comics that Aquaman killed. Yes. Her. Well, no, I think it was an accident. I think, I think, because there's slightly different versions, but they all have the same essence, which is that there was an accident, I believe. His father was a pirate or father was a marine biologist or something. And he died. And I think Aquaman was mad that he couldn't save him. I think Aquaman in the comics, he wasn't around to save him, or there was a fight or something, something like that, where he couldn't save his father. So they they, they were kind of faithful to that. I mean, um, they kind of showed how Aquaman chose not to um, save his father, but they made it, I think in the movie, they made it more personal. Uh, Made it more personal. Ah, because Aquaman is Aquaman is physically there, and he chose not to save him. <laughs> right, yeah, but still, like, love this take on Black Manta too, and he's probably yeah, like I said, one of DC's most underrated, less known villains, and love his debut on the big screen, and can't wait to see what um what was the actor's name again? Yaya Abdul Mateen the second. Yaya Abdul Martin II is gonna bring to the table in the, this character. Yeah. Oh, 
He's a great actor. He was also in Watchmen. He did a good, great job in Watchmen. Um, um, no more TV show. The TV show. Ah, I see. Yes. Let's get to that now, actually. Like, Watchmen in general. Like, the show. I haven't... I have only seen just the pilot, but... What are you, what is your overall thoughts on it? Like a bit of the summary. On Watchmen the show, uh, I loved it. I thought it was it's a successor. It's a it's a worthy and and worthy successor to the book, the graphic novel, to the movie. I mean, to the graphic novel because it takes place 34 years after the events of the original graphic novel, and I love how the show sets up its own world. And it tackles the ideas of racism because, and those are timely issues because the original, I mean, those are timely issues that are connected to the graphic novel because the graphic novel, it was concerned with cold war and paranoia. And so each, both of them have, are, are, are similar in that they both deal with the, a timely American um, theme or problem in society. And they both do a good job of examining that theme. Uh, yeah, and it's just a good, it's a great show. It's really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was already sold by it by watching the pilot because it's, it's based on a comic book, of course, but it doesn't feel like a superhero movie. And I mean it in the highest compliment. It's more like a crime drama with costume vigilantes. I love that they went for that take too. Just really well done. Really? Yeah, it's like um, they they pushed boundaries a lot with the genres. It was mainly a superhero genre, but it also had like a mystery fiction element. I mean, because um, Sister Knight, she um, played by Regina King, she investigates the murder of of her boss, the the Tulsa police chief, played. What's that guy's name? Dan, Donald, Donald Johnson, I think, or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, it's it does what the graphic novel did because the graphic novel it shattered what people think a superhero story could do, mm-hmm. and how it, it blended different genres. And you saw the show did the same thing in the same aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I think the guy's name is Don Johnson. Don Johnson. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It seems to be sure. Um, yes, you're right. The the cop who then turned out, spoiler alert, to be a member of those those Rorschach Ku Ku Clan type members, right? The Ninth Cavalry, they're called, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the Seventh Cavalry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And but then you find it's interesting how like the show. The show shows you who did it, and then but it adds on to the theme of racism and the how black people have suffered in this country and things like that. And these people, like the Seventh Cavalry, they are the ones who dress up like Rorschach. They ran Rorschach. Yeah, they misappropriated. Yeah, they Rorschach was never for racism. Rorschach wasn't that person, but he was his. His harshness on criminals when he was alive is is what is what appealed to these far right extremists, and so they co-opted his image, and, and they made him uh, like the symbol for their movement. 
Jesus. And yeah, they made him a symbol for white supremacy, basically. Oh, yeah. So they basically tarnished his image by doing that. Yeah, they tarnished it. Well, which well, is again, it's it's timely because you know far right movements in this country they do that all the time. They miss, they co-opt images and things like that. I mean, it goes back to Hitler, and I mean, I don't know if this is accurate, but I think some historians are d- debating this. But the the symbolism of the Nazi flag, mm-hmm. that I think that was co-opted from the Eastern tradition of like the swastika symbol. So yeah, it's just they there's a history of them co-opting symbols. Mm, yeah. Yeah, a lot of symbolism too. And Rorsch yeah, true, Rorschach was he was not a racist, but misogyny, oh yes. Like he he tended to look down on women, right? Because he saw them as prostitutes based on how his mother treated him and she was a prostitute. I don't too. think he hated I don't think he hated all women though, because he liked he was friends with Lori. I mean, even even though they were partners, but I think he the Morsak's main uh gripe was how society is corrupt. How the idea that's why he became a, a superhero because he saw the, the ugly underbelly of society and he felt he had to do something about it. But in so doing, that added on to his cynicism mm-hmm. about how human beings are just not. Mm-hmm. So it got to a point where he was teetering on the idea that they're just not worth saving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they're just, it's just too far gone. Oh yeah, I, so, I don't that. think he hates all women, but but he doesn't like prostitutes. No, he doesn't. That's that's more nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I like Rorschach. Rorschach is actually one of my favorite DC superheroes and characters. Like he's very morally complex. He's like DC's answer to the Punisher, I'd say. And his mask, the black and white, it's it's symbolic too of how he sees the world, how it's all black and white. Just love the character. Yeah, it's a war, it's, it comes from the uh, the Warsack chest, where psychi- psychiatrists and psychologists use to to interrogate people or get their their mind thought process. And uh, apparently, the Warsack on his mask it changes depending depending on his mood. So that's what uh, Dave Gibbons and wrote. I mean, he drew into the comic book. But yeah, the Warsack test is just the idea of him being a mirror to society, you know. And it's an analog to uh, the character in the um, in the Watchmen TV show, Looking Glass. Ah, the guy with wearing like the transparent mask. The yeah, silver. played by uh, Tim. Yeah, played by Tim Blake Nelson, who did a great job. Uh, so yeah, it's, just watch the show, man. It's really good. Will do. Yeah, and now that we're and what about the film? Like, first, what what are your thoughts on Zack Snyder's take on Watchmen? Uh, uh I loved. It. I, I like. I like it. I like it for what it is. I have the director's cut on Blu-ray, so because I'm a huge fan of the graphic novel. And the only thing I recently changed my mind. I liked the ending at first, but now I'm thinking maybe he should just kept the original ending. And uh, because a lot of people didn't like that, 
And but yeah, I've, it's a faithful adaptation, like in terms of visually, like a lot of the panels are taken from the book and mm-hmm. put straight on screen. But I felt that Zack Snyder, he missed the point of the book. The point of the book was putting an eye on why on the, the idea of superheroes and, and the idea of who watches the Watchmen, like who watches the superheroes. That's what the book was about. Alan Moore said in the interview that the book was about power, about how people use power to, to, to move their agendas. And the, and each of, each of the characters, specifically Warshak and and Doctor Manhattan, there were there were commentaries on that on how the abuses of power, or how power could be abused. Um, yes. So yeah, that's why I think because Snyder, he's great with visuals, he's great with all that cinematography, blah blah blah. But I don't think he got what the book was about. I think he just focused on how cool it is to have a grim, dark tone without realizing why that tone was there in the first place. Yeah, that is actually a very accurate way of putting it. Yeah, thanks for pointing it out, Emmanuel. Like, yeah, personally, I, like you, I, I liked Watchmen. I think it was a very faithful adaptation. But yeah, it was great visually, like Zack Snyder's MO, but not great thematically, I'd say. So I'd, I'd say I share the same thoughts as you as well. Like, Alan Moore is probably, like, Watchmen is the considered by many to be the best comic book of all time. And like you said, it changed how we all saw comics. Like, not all heroes were good and bad, and, not, and some of them died and came back. And it introduced really complex themes we've never seen before. And that's why I'll always appreciate for what it is. Yeah, it, it the book, the graphic novel, it changed superhero comics. I mean, I have a copy of it at home. I look over it sometimes. Yeah, I love reading it. You always find something. You always find something new. It's it's never. It's a dense book, but it's just so much, so rich, so much rich material, and it's been influential on a lot of filmmakers. It was influential on. Damon Lindelof, who went on to create the Watchmen TV show. If you look at the TV show Lost, how it uses flashbacks, that was taken from Watchmen. If you look at uh, David Goyer and um, how he likes to use realism in his movies, he was very influenced by Watchmen too. So yeah, it's it's been it's a very influential book. Yes, and I'm also a fan of Alan Moore's other comic book. Batman, The Killing Joke. That one is a comic I have read so many times and I never get bored. Just love it. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's a great comic book. Like I said in one of our earlier episodes when, I, when we were talking about Nolan, uh, Heath Ledger used that as a, a starting point to research the character. He used that, that book. And the way the writers, Jonathan Nolan and Chris Nolan, wrote the script, they specifically added that dimension to the Joker and how they wrote the Joker. That personality trait of how he does things to prove that people are evil, that everyone is corrupt. That's right. And very 
great it's a great comic book it was a little controversial uh-huh. at the time though because of uh-huh. how uh, barbara gordon how she got shot and yes like it was uh, how like people yeah there's people were saying that was misogynist or uh-huh. that that was a death blow to the character or something but i don't think alan moore wanted had that in mind I just felt like he just wanted to show how evil the Joker was yeah oh and also there was controversy because if you look uh, you might have to reread the book but if you look at like one panel and it's or like the Joker was laughing on one panel and then it cuts to like sometime later some people think that's an implication that the Joker raped her Mm -hmm. yeah yeah off screen still being talked about for even after all this time so yeah i don't know if that's accurate but that's what some people were, were saying well knowing that this is the joker of all people do we really need to question that like come on <laughs> yeah 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 it's just yeah. joker's evil and i think alan moore was just trying to showcase that Definitely. And he succeeded, actually. Well, some might say he it was too much. Some say it was necessary. But I have no problem with it as long as it tries to explore the point of the Joker's philosophy. You know, that exactly. all it takes is one bad day to drive the sanest man into lunacy. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, I love this comic because it, it explored the dynamic between batman and the joker like batman and joker are like dark reflections of each other like batman has so many enemies and they all represent an aspect of him but the joker is his polar opposite like i mentioned in the nolan episode the joker is what batman could have been if he went insane because if you think about it there's nothing sane about some guy who dresses up as a bat and spends his nights beating the crap out of criminals. So I love that dimension to both characters. Yeah, like, they're both theatrical. Like, even I like the scene at the end of Batman Begins when uh, Gordon shows Batman the Joker card, and he he said, take this guy. Has a taste for theatrical, like you. Mm. (laughs) Not so different. a calling card, and then he showed the Joker card. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're they're both theatrical people. Um, yeah, they're both. Um, um, uh, there's a great, like I said in that episode, the Nolan episode about the documentary Batman: The Psychology of the Dark Knight. They talk about how Batman and Joker are yin and yang. How there's one guy, I think he's a professor or a psychologist. He said they're both gifted men, both highly talented at what they do, <laughs> but there's a philosophical debate between them so, oh yeah. yeah it's it's really it's really amazing yes yeah like i've seen this this short documentary about the joker's character his philosophy and him and batman's dynamic because yes they the batman and the joker keep fighting but there is like punching and kicking but overall batman and joker's fight is more mental like the joker they're not fighting for each other's lives they're fighting for as the joker said for 
it's the battle for Gotham's soul. Like the only way the Joker can really win is if Batman kills him because Batman will break his rule. And even and if the Joker keeps living, more people will die. So it's really a never-ending battle. That's, yeah, like yeah, like the Joker referenced that in Dark Knight when he cap- when Batman captured him. He said, "I think you and I are destined to do this forever." Oh yeah, <laughs> and they have been since 1941. Uh, yeah. Since Bob place. Kane, Jerry Robinson, and Bill Finger created him. Yes, yeah. Like, in some twisted sense, Batman, the Joker sees Batman also as his best friend. Like, because with Batman, he has a purpose in life, which is to make his life hell. In the animated series, even lampshaded this. Remember when Joker thought Batman died and he said, Without Batman, crime has no punchline. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they need each other. They need each other. Right. It's really, love it. Just really great dynamic. Such gifts of characters, really. Like two sides of a coin. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yep, they are. Yin and yang. Definitely. Like... Without, I just feel like without Bat- Batman and Joker, none of the great superhero and villain dynamics we know of would ever exist. Like, like with Spider-Man and Green Goblin or Daredevil and Kingpin, it's it set the bar for all what's to come next. Yeah, like at the time, Bob Kane was trying to the creator of Batman, Bob Kane. He was trying to create a character that would or a villain that would that. That would that would make give Batman problems for for a long time, and so that's kind of where the the Joker came from, and I think it's a model for for every other superhero villain dynamic. You know, if whenever I think of uh, a hero and a villain, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking of Batman and Joker and how it measures up to that dynamic. Definitely, yeah, me too. Like, it's really, really, it's very interesting. It's not just two he- two guys trying to defeat the other. It's much more complex and personal than that. It's just perfect, really. It's a, it's a philosophical debate. It's a one guy who's for law and order and that life has meaning, whereas the other guy is like, no, there is no law and order. Life has no meaning, and mm. so. They battle out. It's not a easily resolved debate. Exactly. Yeah. And the same also applies. I think. I'm guessing for their other counterparts, Superman and Lex Luthor too. Yeah, like for Lex Luthor, um, I actually have an idea f- to write a Superman movie script just for fun. I've written out the outline, and hopefully, I finish it soon but the theme that i would uh address in that film and it addresses the comic books too is that superman and lex luther they're both they both see themselves as a savior of metropolis like they both see themselves as metropolis golden sun or i mean superman less so because superman is less hum- is more humble he's just protecting his adopted home but lex luther he he views Superman as this 
light as like the fact that this guy even exists it's a it's an insult to me you know like because lex luther he's he's one of the most prominent businessmen in metropolis he's lived in that in that city almost all his life so it's kind of like with kingpin like how kingpin loves new york mm. and feels he has ownership over new york mm. it's the same thing with lex luther mm. that's right lex luther and it's yeah, and it's more, and it's an existential thing too, because Lex Luthor views Superman as like the end of human achievements, or how humanity, the future, the potential future of humanity, or what it could be. But it doesn't involve Lex Luthor. Or it doesn't involve his efforts. So it's like that's why he's a villain because his ego and pride is so much. He's one of the smartest people alive. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't like the fact that people overlook him and look at Superman as a hero and not him as a hero. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that dynamic is interesting, too. Like, Superman and Luthor are like go on reverse journeys. Like, Superman's a god who wants to be a man, and Luthor is a man who wants to be a god, which really great, like contradiction between both these characters between what makes them arch enemies polar opposites yeah it's it's a great dynamic i mean uh, i read a lot of the superman comic books and uh there's a great um yeah even, i don't even have to go to comic books look at um look at the animated series at the end of um the superman animated series at the end of the three-part opening episode superman confronts lex luther as at his um his corporate building and luther is trying to say you could you know we don't have the fight you could work for me and superman is like you'll never control me luther never and then the superman flies off lex luther says i guess i have to kill you then <laughs> well what a great way to start a relationship eh? yeah <laughs> so it's like you see the clash of Superman represents then the ideal American values of personal responsibility, individuality, and here and heroism. Lex Luthor represents the the to me it represents the bad effects of capitalism of oh. greed and ego and all that should be bad about America. And so. Oh, yeah. sure. So Lex Luthor, he hates the fact that he can't control Superman. That mm. Superman is this beacon of hope for Metropolis. Yeah, that's right. And that he hates that he's not that beacon mm. of hope. So that's what fuels their their villain the his villainy, the rivalry. So basically, like you mentioned, it's a matter of ego and pride. Like Lex Luthor wants to be like this great omnipotent force and superman's like an insult to that like his mere existence is an insult to his own pride yeah because he upends him like lex luther always seen himself as the savior of metropolis i mean he has uh he's he's bought lots of properties in metropolis he created jobs for people you know like look at what i've done and what has superman done he just flies around and and helps cats out of trees, you know, like, <laughs> like what people should be looking at me as a hero. Exactly. And wasn't there that storyline too, where Luthor once tried to run for president? 
Yeah, that happened in the uh, early 2000s, like late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I only know about it because I read the first graphic novel, DC graphic novel I ever read was Superman, Our World's at War, which I don't advise because that's, it's very, it was very dense and like I was just jumping on. So you had to have read earlier stuff to understand what's going on. But at the time, Luther was president and you know he was he wasn't really doing a great job it was he was just doing it for himself mm. but he tried to mobilize people the heroes against uh imperiax imperiax was a villain that was threatening the universe and whatnot and superman and these heroes had to fight imperiax and uh but yeah it's just luther he only cares about his ego Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Another important aspect of his character, basically, like the only person Luthor cares about is, well, Luthor. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. And this might have been like before Luth- Luthor and Superman. I used to think that Superman's arch nemesis should not have been Luthor, but get ready for this dark side because he is an enemy that ma- is kind of like Superman, like matches Superman in terms of powers, strength, and they both come from foreign planets and they both seek to change the Earth. That's how I saw it at the time anyways. Well, I mean, the, well, I would argue dark side is even more, it's just about, yeah, a little bit more powerful because he's a new god. But, and the uh, the Superman and it made Darkseid a, a recurring villain. Um, but yeah, I would love to see, I would love to see Superman and Darkseid fight live action. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, Darkseid is one of Superman's villains, but he's also one of the Justice League's, you know, recurring adversaries too. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, um, I think with the with the animated show, the Superman animated show, it made people it made the idea more popular of Darkseid being a Superman villain. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, they they have an interesting dynamic in the comics too. Um, but yeah, they do they confront each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love love also that Darkseid's portrayal in Superman the animated series. Michael Ironside did a really great job voicing the character too like, oh yeah he did it was amazing like dark side was so intimidating like mm-hmm. that's how he is in the comic books he's very intimidating he talks in a very methodical detached way that's right yeah i am many things kal but here i am god yeah like that was one of the best scenes man in the show because Superman, he went through all this trouble of def- over- overthrowing him. He beat the crap out of him and then threw him over the side of the building. But, but it, it just showed how complex Darkseid is. Because even though he's a despot, he's a titan, he's a, not a titan, a, a dictator, he mm. was actually nice to the people he ruled. Mm. So they added another dimension to... And Superman was shocked. Like, what? Yeah. Exactly. Love that. It yeah. Really well done. Sometimes it shows that sometimes good cannot comprehend what is evil at times. Really love that. Yes. Like, that's another thing. One of the 
top aspects for DC Comics in general that I think it stands out from Marvel is that DC has really great villains too. Like if I could just mention them all within less than 30 seconds, here we go. Like we got Joker, Brainiac, Lex Luthor, Darkseid, uh, Ra's al Ghul, and plenty more. Like Batman and Superman have the best rose gallery in DC Comics, I'd say. So that's the Flash too. Yeah, so and the Flash as well. Yeah, I agree. Like the villains, they're just that they say a hero's only as good as the villain, and DC shows that. Like the villains, they're just they're equally as ruthless and brutal and really just wow, really show that sometimes evil is cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the DC has great villains. Um and they have, but they have good heroes too. Mm. Have good heroes like all the heroes they're all gods that want to be human and mm. a lot of the comic books have been focusing on that i think in recent years so that's good yeah and you mentioned to me before that dc's heroes are more inspired by greek gods and demigods too yeah like the dc dc heroes are very arch- archetypal which means they're recurring. They're characters that people can recognize in in everyday life or everyday environment. Um, so, but in terms of power level and how the the comic book writers wrote them, yeah, they come out of a mythology, a Greek, almost a Greco-Roman mythology in terms of how they relate to human beings and their powers, like you know look at superman superman he's apollo like a lot of the comic books they have him situate you know how superman hovers near the sun mm, whenever yeah. he's hovering in the sky some and some um comic books in the in the panels he's hovering near the sun so referencing that he's inspired by the sun god apollo mm, and, and he brought um, me and he what and that's where he brought his powers to from earth exactly he's just yeah he's a sun god grant Morrison. Morrison said that he's a sun god. Um, Batman, he lives in the shadows. Mm-hmm. He had, uh, in Greek in Greek times, I think in Greek tradition and other mythologies, I think bats are associated with the underworld. Mm-hmm. And um, and who's the underworld in Greek mythologies? It's Hades. Yes. And so Hades was also the god of wealth. He was Pluto in the Roman tradition. And Bruce Rain is he's a wealthy guy. Mm. So and, and of course it's more obvious with Wonder Woman too, given she's the daughter of a Greek god and possesses godlike abilities too. Like Yeah, to me she represents Athena. Athena was like a woman warrior, goddess of the hunt. Um I think she was goddess of the hunt, Athena. Uh wasn't it uh, wisdom? Yeah, goddess of wisdom. I'm sorry, goddess of wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> Athena is goddess of wisdom. Yeah, but she, but Athena was also a warrior type, a, a female warrior type god, goddess. And then the Flash, you got Flash. He's obviously um, Hermes. Hermes, yes. Yeah, the messenger of the gods. And then um, Aquaman is obviously Poseidon. Mm, yes. He has a trident and everything. God of the sea. And Cyborg, Cyborg is more of, this is my own interpretation, but Cyborg is like Hephaestus, 
Hephaestus was god of the technology. Oh, I did not know about that. Wow. Yeah, Hephaestus was um, goddess of the god of technology. So yeah, each and every one of these uh, these superheroes, they have a Greek Greek mytholo- mythological analog. Mm. Wow, wow, those those are really great interpretations. I ne- I never saw it that way. Wow, it's really yeah. It took me a while to see it. Um, because like yeah, because the reason I jumped on that was a few years ago. I saw that. When Grant Morrison was creating, was writing JLA in the 90s, he said that he was really trying to put that imagery in there, the, that they're gods. Mm. So I started researching, a little research myself. Oh, they are like gods. I didn't know that. And like I said, he went on to say that Superman is basically a sun god anyway. Impressive. So, yeah. Extraordinary. Wow. Yeah. Like, I really... It irks me sometimes when people say that Superman like is too overrated or that he's not the best superhero because he's too overpowered or because he, you know, that he's very one dimensional. But deep down, Superman is very complex. Like he doesn't let his powers define him. And he's just like us. He wants to fit in in the, to know what his place is in this world. I'm sure we've been at that some point of that point in our lives of course yeah i really uh, this is my own opinion but i relate to superman a lot that's that's why he's my favorite character dc character because it's a story it's a story of immigrants i mean this guy he's looking for an adopted home my parents were immigrants this is america's my adopted home uh he comes from a nice uh, uh blue collar background same as me. I mean, my dad, he's a blue collar worker. My dad works on cars. Uh, my mom is a nurse. And they inst- they both instilled in me morality, just like Jonathan and Martha Kent instilled in Clark Kent morality. So I relate to Superman a lot in the sense of, you know, being the son of immigrants and and believing in good and believing that people can be good and that there just there needs to be justice in the world and things like that. Those are American values, you know. Those are good values to have. So, Superman, yeah, it's just amazing that he's my favorite character because I relate to that. But also, he, despite the fact that he has all these powers, the fact that he chooses not to abuse it shows a, a lot about his character. That. With some really deep, inspiring stuff, Emmanuel. Like, did not know that. Just wow, really, I'm really touched to hear that. Yeah, like I'm touched to say it because, like, it's <laughs> like I've always been wondering who's the favorite superhero that I like. But like, Superman is just. At first, I said it was Batman, but I don't know. Batman. I feel like Batman. Say they, people say Batman because oh, he has no superpowers. But like, I can't relate to a rich guy. Like Bruce Wayne, I can't relate to Bruce Wayne. I'm not rich. <laughs> I'm I'm poor. <laughs> so it's like, so I can't relate to that. But I can relate to Superman because he comes from a a humble upbringing, and he just wants to. And also, he's a reporter, and I I wrote for the student newspaper too. 
Ooh. So like, yeah, it's just weird. Like these nice. these similarities. But yeah, that's why I relate to Superman because he's he's the son of immigrants and he wants to protect his adopted home. It's a quintessentially an, an American story. Yeah. Wow, that's a really great take, man. Like, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear that again. Nice. Yeah, like that's. It took me a while to realize that, but wow, this is. Wow, I don't even know what to say, man. Like, really good job. Love it. It's really inspiring. And I think it's time we rank our favorite DC movies of all time. Let's start with you, Emmanuel. All right, so number one is Superman the Movie by Richard Donner with Christopher Reeve. Still still my all-time favorite film, 1978. Love that film. Second is um, The Dark Knight, 2008, by Christopher Nolan. A great, great um, Batman movie. A superhero film that was also like a crime drama. A uh, great, great, great film. Number three is Wonder Woman, by directed by Patty Jenkins. A great Wonder Woman story, great film all around, 2017. Number four would be Bat- the original Batman from 1989. Directed by Tim Burton, uh, a great darker rendition of the character with the great performances by uh, Michael Keaton and um, Jack Nicholson. Great story, great writing. And then number five would be Batman Returns, that came out in 1992. That's right. Uh, Yeah, 92. Directed by Tim Burton again. A great part two to the part one of Batman. It, and uh, introduced great villains like uh, Catwoman and uh, Penguin. And yeah, just great writing, great direction, everything. Oh, yeah. Those are really excellent choices, too, man. I have rewatched some of some scenes from them this week, too, in preparation for this episode. Really well done. And Thanks. Now, me. So, for my number five favorite DC film, I'll give this one to. V for Vendetta. Cool, like, cool. It's really, it's really different from all the DC films I've seen. It's a film that tackles social commentary on fascism, free revolution, and how govern. And as from the words of V, how governments should be afraid of their people. Like it's really deep stuff too like it's still it's still relevant too it was way ahead of its time for a film that came out that came out exactly 15 years ago wow really great film yeah yeah i read the comic book uh b for vendetta i love the graphic novel by alan moore it's amazing i love the film too but i had a slight nitpick because i felt they they had to americanize it and it's like uh I kind of like the the Britishness of it, but because to me they kind of they 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 changed the political what the conflict was about the political ideology. When Alan Moore wrote it, he was talking about Margaret Thatcher and fascism, mm-hmm. and I feel like in the movie they focus more on neoliberals versus conservatives. But yeah, it's, it's it's just a nitpick, but it's a great film though. It's a great film. 
Yes, yeah. Great performance too from Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman too. Really great chemistry between the two. And I just love how this film is just so, so deep. They tell us really harsh truths about reality too. Just that's why it's run my place on this list. Yeah. Number four, I'll give this one to Batman Begins. This is the film that basically resurrected the Batman franchise and brought Batman back as a modern pop culture icon. And I agree. Uh, David Gore, he, this is one of his one of his hits. He did a good job with the script. Um, Christopher Nolan revised it a little bit, but it's pretty much David Gore's draft. Um, yeah, I just love how they made again, like we said in the Nolan episode. They made it a realistic um, take on the character, like what he could be in our in our world. Uh-huh. And it's just the writing was good, the direction, the acting. Yeah, it's a solid Batman film. It's very it's, solid. Oh, yeah. And it really showed that Batman, like we mentioned in our Nolan episode, despite his strengths, his armor and intellect, this is a hero who actually got hurt, who was vulnerable, which made us show, made us care for the character. Yeah, for sure. He's like, Batman is, that's what he is. For all his strengths, he's just a man. He's a character, not just a force of nature. Really love that they touched on that. And this was proof that Christopher Nolan was only getting started. Exactly. My number three, which is the most recent on this list, would be 2019's Joker. Just That was a good film. It was. Like, it doesn't... It's a psychological thriller that led us into the, what what makes a monster and, and it's so relevant too shows how society creates its own villains like how arthur fleck is basically saying they treat me as the bad guy all right and that's who i'll be from now on just love it really deep movie yeah it's a character study it's um it's a great insight into how i mean there's a reason why you know the film has inspirations like Taxi Driver and like that was dealing with another guy that was on the fringes of society and kind of out there. And like the, the movie is a morality tale, a cautionary tale on how we treat outcasts uh-huh. or people that are be that people that become outcasts. And then you see it how like if you look at some of these school shooters or some of these terrorists or whatever, they're always this, this, the thing that's that's common is that they're outcast or they were socially not acceptable or something like that. Uh, agreed. And so, yeah, it's just a great insight into the character of the Joker and, and making, putting it in a realistic tone and realistic world, realistic world. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great cautionary tale. And it was Todd Phillips did a great job directing it and jo- walking Felix, walking Phoenix direct, um, he deserved that uh, that win, Oscar wins. Absolutely, yeah. And also, I love how like it makes sense for this Joker to be treated as an unreliable narrator because remember that quote in the Killing Joke that sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm going to have an origin story, I prefer it to be multiple choice. 
Exactly. Like, the killing joke was another inspiration on the film, too. And because in both the killing joke and the movie, Joker, he was a failed comedian. Like, he just didn't do a good job with, with comedy. And so he kind of internalized, he internalized that, you know, had resentment. And so he just cracked and like, oh, my life is a joke too then. Or right. so, so I'm not going to care about everybody else, basically. Exactly, yeah. And this also, this film really is also one of the best of the decade. And a film you really need to watch more than once to truly comprehend the psyche of one of comic books and one of pop culture's most iconic characters too. And that's why it's earned the bronze medal on this list. That's good. For my number two, I'll give this one to The Dark Knight Rises. Really great way to end the Nolan's trilogy too. I know some people complained that there wasn't enough Batman in it, but at its core, the trilogy, it's not about Batman. It's about Bruce Wayne. Like, Bruce Wayne is the character. Batman is just a symbol. In this, in my opinion, in the Nolan trilogy, I consider both of them to be two separate people, not just the same guy. I have some issues with the movie, but, I mean, it's still a good Batman film. I like how it's... And Nolan has said this, is that each film in his trilogy was tackling a different genre, so... The first film was the origin story, superhero origin story. Second film was a crime drama, and the third film was like a disaster movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Dark Knight Rises is a perfect example of a disaster movie. And that mistakes. It did. And it was a great conclusion to the story. I just have nitpicks about plot holes and things like that, and some dialogue. But other than that, it's it's not a bad. It's a fitting conclusion to the trilogy, to Nolan's trilogy. For sure. Definitely agree. And it's also, in a way, culturally relevant of that time because Bane's speech about how it's the people versus the government. And during that time in 2012, there was a huge recession and there was lots of looting, people fighting back to take back their property. Like, I love how the film touched on that real-life element. It was a sign of the times, you know? It's a testament to the writing, and I don't know if they intentionally did that, but I know that it was definitely timely for the for the film. It was during the Occupy Wall Street movement. Mm. Yeah, so, so, yeah, some people were saying that Batman is... Or Bane is uh, some type of, it mean that Bane, I think, I uh, can't remember, I think Rush Limbaugh or somebody said that Bane was a representation of capitalism, but that's not what they were go- going for. Oh. Um, but basically it was surrounded and formed by the Occupy Wall Street movement. As Bane put himself, like he's a unnecessary evil, a well-intentioned extremist, I'd say. And that's my number two. And my number one, I'll give this one to... Catwoman by Halle Berry. <laughs> just kidding. I know you're joking. Just kidding. Of course, I'm gonna give this one to The Dark Knight. Like, oh god, so much to say. Like, but for one, I'll stick it the real life element. It's not a superhero movie. It's a neo noir crime thriller. And of course, the best part, which we all know that by now, is Heath Ledger's Joker. Just 
wow, really put a lot of time and effort into creating this character. Like, like the Joker's never been a nice guy, but this one is, there's an element of realism to him. Like, people like him are on the news. He's a guy who is just tired of the status quo, who believes that the world should be better if it demolished the old, if we live without rules or morals. Just, wow. Yeah, he's an anarchist. He's like, uh, uh, I think no one took some inspiration from A Clockwork Orange and how Malky, he, he's kind of similar to the character of Malcolm in that movie. But, but yeah, Joker is an anarchist. He's, and it makes sense. That's part of his character. It'll be part of his personality and that he views society as a joke. It's true. And yes. there's a method to his madness how he all the evil he does is just him trying to show how society is is a joke or how the world is a joke and laws are a joke that's right that's nihilism. his purpose the, yeah basically nihilism yeah yes even though the joker does have a point for the things he does at the same time you can see that he does it just for fun like he really seems to enjoy the evil the whole monstrous acts he commits all over the film just really great character. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's the worst form of evil because, like Alfred said, you know, some men just like to watch the world burn. Like, <laughs> you can't reason or negotiate with the Joker. No. no all he wants is chaos. That's right. Agent of chaos. Love how they, they try to do something new to the Joker and also try to stay faithful to the comics as well. And love that. And for many reasons. That's why I consider The Dark Knight to be, well, the best DC film ever. And yeah, yeah. Like we mentioned before, DC has made so many great movies over the years, but their best movies are the ones outside of the DCU. Like, DC can be great when it tries to be its own thing instead of just copying Marvel all the time. Look no further than 2019's Joker, for example. Yeah, like, um, when that comic books can be more than comic books. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Because, like, that's what Watchmen started. Like, I think Watchmen was the trendsetter because it showed that superhero comic books and movies and later on movies could could still be superhero stories, but still talk about themes in society, themes that touch us, themes in our everyday lives. Exactly. And yes. That's what makes the movies better, in my opinion. Exactly. And yes, that's really a great thought, too. Like, when they try to be their own thing, like, Joker was a psychological thriller, Logan is a neo-Western film, and Wonder Woman is, at its core, a World War One movie. Just love when they try to be its own thing. It doesn't always have to stick to just one genre. Yeah, that's the great thing about superhero films. And Marvel's done that well, too, with their, with a lot of their films. Or specifically Captain America movies. And, um, but yeah, this, I like when superhero movies do that. They are superheroes movies, but they, um, they have a different genre onto themselves. The Netflix shows did that too. And, uh, looks like we're out of time. I got some, some things to do. So, and thank you, Emmanuel. This is by far our longest episode with you, man. I think awesome. we so much, don't you think? Like, yeah, we did. We covered a lot of 
the DCU. There, there'll definitely be a, another sequel to this because there, DC is one of the longest running branches of pop culture and two hours is definitely not enough to cover all of it. So there will be a sequel sometime in the future, man. And you're going to be our guest again. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. Glad to discuss DC. I've been a DC fan since I was five, since I first watched the Batman animated show and the Superman animated show. And then later on, when I got older and started reading the comic books, yeah, man, I love DC. The Earth yeah. heroes are the most iconic, in oh, my opinion. For sure. Yeah, me too. Like, I've been back then in my youth i was not really big into superheroes or comic books until i watched batman begins and that's what's brought me over into the dc universe and the world of comic books even further but it really it wasn't until 2008 when i read infinite crisis and i was like i gotta start reading comic books and yeah it was a dc dc comic book and also can't wait with all your upcoming scripts on dc's universe from your justice league sequel to another your solo superman film and i believe you've mentioned you've got a batman standalone film as well with the court of Owls. Yeah, I just have an idea for it. I haven't written anything out about it. But I think I'll work on the solo Superman script. And, yeah, just go from there. I mean, yeah, I, I admire the character a lot. And I've been thinking of doing one for a while. Nice, man. It's going to be great. Can't wait to read it as well. And before we leave, Thanks. today's episode was brought to you by... Batman Year One and uh, Batman The Long Halloween, two of the best Batman stories ever written. Yes, they are. I, I enjoyed reading them. Definitely. Yes, and they're both going to be taking inspiration from the new Batman movie coming out in 2022 with Robert Pattinson. Can't wait for that, too. Yeah, I can't wait either. Excited for it. Like DC has, despite its rough beginnings in the few years, it's now looking towards a more brighter future, I think, at the hands of more talented and competent filmmakers and writers, too. I agree. And so this is it for us. Thank you for coming here, Emmanuel. Glad to be here. And this has been Sin City with your host, Nick Meneses, and our most frequent guest, Emmanuel Akinola all the way from Houston, Texas. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.